Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage. You're listening to Radio Rounds, a talk show created and hosted by medical students, where today's stories are told by tomorrow's doctors. Coming up on today's show, Dr. John Schumann discusses his efforts to demystify medicine and to empower his patients. You know, there's sort of a joke, too, amongst doctors that like about the patients, the cyberchondriacs, you know, the people who Google their symptoms and come in armed with reams of, you know, printouts about diseases they think they have. And I mean, that's certainly not the direction I'm going, and I'm trying to get people to make use of their time, I suppose. We'll hear much more from Dr. Schumann on Radio Rounds right now. Welcome to Radio Rounds, everybody. I'm Shami Das. And I'm Ryan Shapiro. We're glad you could all join us today. We have a great show planned and lots to talk about. We certainly do. As most of our listeners know by now, we're an entirely medical student-hosted radio program. Ryan is in his first year of medical school, and I'm wrapping up my third. And today we're going to hear from Dr. John Schumann, whom you heard in today's show opener. He founded and authors a great blog called GlassHospital.com. And he'll tell us a little bit about his experiences as a physician involved in the social media blogosphere, as well as his inspirations behind the blog itself. One of his aims is to demystify medicine, so we'll talk a little bit about what that means for him, and also what it means for us. That's coming up in just a moment. First, though, we want to recognize that today's episode is being aired two days after Match Day, (laughs) which is the day on which all fourth-year medical students across the country find out where they matched for residency. Yes, congratulations to all the soon-to-be graduating fourth-year students and future doctors. That includes one of the co-founders of Radio Rounds, Avash Kalra. On Friday, they all literally opened up an envelope that revealed their fate and where they'll be living for the next three to five years. Talk about a way to choose your profession. Ryan, how many places or how many careers do you know in which you it's decided for you by a computer where you'll be living? I talk about crazy. It's like throwing a dart at a map and saying, oh, I'm going to spend the next three to five, six, seven years living here. Yeah, and as we were talking about this, you know, for those who have significant others, families, wives, kids, I mean, could you imagine, how would your wife react to this? Um, well, I would know where I'd be working. She would be the one who's going, where am I working? So I guess the the tables get turned very quickly. Yeah, well, and I know a lot of my classmates who actually have basically handed over the schools, you know, the areas in which they'd be interested in working over to their wives and basically had them pick the places they're going to apply to. So it's tough. Give them the Sharpie, let them say, oh, not here, not here, not here. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the matter at hand and introduce today's guest. Dr. Schumann is a general internist and medical educator, previously at the University of Chicago, and now at the University of Oklahoma School of Community Medicine, where he functions as the Associate Director of the Internal Medicine Residency Program. In addition, Dr. Schumann is the founder and author of the popular blog, GlassHospital.com, which aims to demystify medicine and to provide transparency on the workings of medical practice and the complexities of hospital care. In this interview by Avash Kalra, Dr. Schumann discusses how it all got started. I created the blog for... I had all sort of these repressed ideas about things that tick me off in healthcare, 
and things that I thought never were explained well to patients. So I primarily wrote the blog as, or started the blog to try to what I call demystify medicine. I wanted to bring transparency to medicine to try to you know illustrate a little bit about the way doctors think. But of course, I would never assume that I could encapsulate how all doctors would think, but just how I think. But some of the things that I've heard over the years from family members and patients that have said, you know, why is it like this? Or you know, why do we do things this way? Or, you know, and so I, that was, that was something that seemed very important to me. And, th- and then it just became a habit. And I learned sort of some of the tricks of blogging, which are that if, you know, if you blog regularly, you're more likely to gain readership. If you blog regularly, you're more likely to make it writing a habit. And so I really did it as a means of building up a, almost a portfolio of ideas and work to show to possibly to publishers or to editors. Um, and to a certain extent, it's been successful in doing that. What I was really hoping to do was I, I'm really writing for a lay audience, much more so than a medical audience. And so I was really trying to engage, you know, I think of like people in my family, for example, as my target audience or people I live in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago trying to engage people in this neighborhood because they tend to be sort of savvy consumers. And so I was, you know, writing with that target audience in mind. And um, the thing that really surprised me the most was that when I looked back after, say, three to six months of blogging, I realized that about two-thirds of my post involves some aspect of patient experience. When I tagged or categorized a post, it would almost invariably have something to do with some aspect of patient experience. And from that idea arose this whole sort of concept that that's something that I care deeply about. And I think I had always known that I cared about it, but I didn't really realize when you're my blog, my weekly topics are really almost off the top of my head. Sometimes I'm reacting to a a news story, but more often than not, I'm just writing about something that week or that month that has inspired me or perturbed me. And, um, it turns out that sort of the natural voice I seem to have developed involves, you know, thinking about it from a patient experience standpoint. So I, that taught me something, which is that there is this entirely, this field, so to speak, a subfield almost, if you will, of, of people who think about the patient experience. And it's become increasingly important because with Medicare's value-based purchasing, and you guys are medical students, you know how important quality and safety are. And you may or may not know, I mean, you may know intuitively because you may be the kind of, you know, physician trainee who cares about the, the patient experience. But as part of that triad of quality safety, the third part is is patient experience. And so patient satisfaction scores become very important. And Medicare will withhold full reimbursement to hospitals that are not top-tier performers performing in patient satisfaction score starting in 2013. So there's an actual business case to be made for why hospitals and healthcare enterprises have to be patient-focused. I mean, it sort of goes without saying, but it also goes without saying, and of course, we want healthcare to be safe, right? But of course, we know it's not that safe. Yeah, Dr. Schumann, you mentioned that you consider your blog as, as a window. And of course, that sort of is reflected, so to speak, in the name of your blog, glasshospital.com. Tell us a little bit about why you why you chose that name. I, I know that you mentioned as well that you'd like to demystify medicine, but but what went into actually choosing the name for the blog? The name came about, there's three reasons I'd say. One is about the demystification and transparency angle. So if we're a glass hospital, the lay audience can look into the glass hospital and see the processes at work. 
Number two is the architectural style of the newer hospital buildings on the campus of the University of Chicago. All are are sort of a greenish glass. <laughs> and so it was sort of a, a nod to the my local environment. And then the third aspect was sort of a, you know, meant to be a little bit of a joke. That, you know, people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And so I, I think the same is true of people in glass hospitals. They should not throw stones, you know, unless they're a not afraid to take criticism themselves, basically. And as a general internist, obviously you see a wide variety of patients and patient populations. Do you feel that in this role as a general internist and now blogging that you're enhancing uh, the communication between doctors and patients? I definitely think so. I mean, I, I'm careful in the blog, as I think most bloggers are, to certainly avoid giving medical advice. And so I typically write about what I call meta topics, you know, again, like healthcare financing or how, you know, hospital operations or healthcare, I don't mean surgical operations, I mean, the, you know, business operations of a hospital or a facility, um, you know, tend to work or could be improved. And um, But occasionally I will sort of tackle a medical topic. For example, you know, I've written a couple things about, say, prostate cancer or treating prostate cancer. And so I found that when I write about something like that, that's very prevalent in the lay press or with the lay public, like there tends to be a lot of reaction to it. And that's, I don't know, that the one of the pieces I wrote about watchful waiting, it has a lot of legs. I mean, it seems to just continue to get small dribs and drabs of readers for like, I don't know, maybe more than a year. So I think it, you know, it, the internet is an incredible thing that you just see from something like tracking it on Google Analytics that you, you know, you're still getting some of your older pieces read uh, repeatedly, and in some ways that's satisfying as an as an author. In other ways, you feel like you're contributing to a conversation in a sort of a, you know doctor-patient framework or in a, uh, you know, I guess generalized medical conversation. But to answer your question in a more simple fashion, yeah, I think it really enhances doctor-patient communication because ultimately that's the goal. I think I want readers of my blog to be able to be more empowered, which is a cliche, but to go to their own healthcare practitioners, doctors, and say, you know, hey, what do you think about this? Or, you know, hey, I was reading about this, doing some research. And, you know, there's sort of a joke, too, amongst doctors that, like, about the patients, the cyberchondriacs, you know, the people who Google their symptoms and come in armed with reams of, you know, printouts about diseases they think they have. And I mean, that's certainly not the direction I'm going. And I'm trying to get people to make, you know, make the best use of their time, I suppose. And do you incorporate stories from your own training, from your own career as a physician into uh, into the blog, specifically stories about your interactions with, with patients? I do. But I, again, I vary it somewhat. I don't do that exclusively because you know, first of all, you have to protect everyone's confidentiality and privacy. So if I write about a patient, either they're deceased or I have their permission to do it, and I would, I'd never use their real name unless for some reason either I think it's important and they want to be recognized, but I, I to this day have not done that. I mean, I'm saying use someone's real name. I feel like in the medical humanities community, there are some folks, there's a little bit of a controversy over who owns the story. And so there's a school of thought, of critics, if you will, of medical writing who say, you know, yeah, we've seen lots of doctors with narrative in, in the sort of literary market. There seems to be this almost insatiable public appetite for medical writing, medical narrative. 
but who really owns the story? And you, the doctor, are supposed to be the professional who's supposed to be the keeper of secrets. And it's a little bit uh, self-aggrandizing to go out and sort of trumpet these stories, even if you're protecting the identity of the individual. It's like you're using their story for your personal gain. And of course, the counter argument to that is, hey, I'm a doctor. I have emotions. I have feelings. I have to process this stuff too. And if if my experiences as a doctor can in any way help another person, be it a doctor or a patient, through you know the sharing of language of culture of stories, then that's just an overall you know a double win or triple win for society. Uh, I understand you're working on a nonfiction project about medical mishaps. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. The, um, it's not a, full, a well-developed idea. Actually, some of my blog ideas and drafts, even some that are actually like published posts or whatever, they, um, I often think about them in terms of their readership or their what I call their legs, you know, how long do they last or what kind of impact they have and, and could I successfully sustain narrative about these things. So one of the, I'm very focused on this concept of patient experience. And so what I had hoped to do in a role as a chief experience officer or as as a hospital leader or medical center executive who was focused on the patient experience was to collect stories of frustrating patient experiences, whether medical mishap or, you know, bad outcome or what have you, just and take them from the database of people's complaints and then do a study, if you will, a, a series of case studies, like look at it you know, anywhere from six to 12 cases and then really flush them out, you know, de-identify them, change some of the details to protect anonymity, and then use that as almost like a textbook example of here's what the problem was, here's what happened, here's, you know, the Swiss cheese, the holes lining up to make this, this problem happen. Here's how our medical center responded to make the situation right. And of course, you you sometimes can't make it right, but you can at least try to atone for um, your misdeeds or, you know, whether they're, they're not malicious, they might be inadvertent. And so that was really the goal of that project. It so happens that I've, for the time being, slightly changed direction on that. And so I don't, I'm no longer privy to that exact database of uh, patient complaint file. So I, I don't, I have not amassed the database that I need in order to flesh out that nonfiction project. Well, we'll certainly look forward to to seeing the project uh, if and when it, it gets completed. But uh, Dr. Schumann, really appreciate you coming on the show and telling our listeners about your blog and, and blogging in medicine. Oh, I, I greatly appreciate it. I love your program, and I'm, I was so happy to be introduced to it, and I'm, I'm delighted to have participated. You're listening to Radio Rounds, and I'm Ryan Shapiro. And I'm Shami Das. That was John Schumann, a physician who blogs about patients' interactions with the healthcare system. During his interview, Dr. Schumann mentions demystifying medicine, and we kind of highlighted it out through our promos through this episode. What does that mean to you? Demystifying medicine to me means making it make sense to the patient. And we were talking earlier um, about some experiences that we had in our medical school training, at least, that would help us you know, facilitate or you know, be the demystifiers for our patients. You were talking about some of your first-year experiences. Could you share those with our guests? Yeah, our I've been... I've been very lucky in my first year to have been assigned a preceptor for my clinical skills course who has me see patients in his office with him for three hours a week. And I've gotten to see him continuously talk to his patients 
really educate them. Always make sure they understand what's going on, what this medicine does, what that medicine does, what their options are. He really tries to connect with them. And it's very powerful to me to realize that no matter what I decide to practice, it's a key thing I always need to do. It's interesting. So as much as we are healers, we're also educators to some extent as well. Very much, very much so. Dr. Schumann's background is, is it was in patient satisfaction. So most people think of patient satisfaction as well. Did you go to the doctor when you were sick? Did the doctor give you the right medicine? Did you get better? But it's actually more than that. I mean, studies have shown time and time again, for example, if you look at perhaps patients who end up suing their doctors for malpractice, one of the main reasons that they don't sue their doctors for malpractice is that they actually like them. It really isn't relevant to the, you know, the error that was made because many times, you know, medicine is more of an art than it is a science. And so a lot of times it's how the physician handles the interaction with the patient. So um, it's not surprising here in this case where patient satisfaction is a key measure in many hospital admissions. And now, as you, you know, as he said in the, in the interview, for reimbursements. It's amazing. As soon as you walk in the door to your doctor's office or to the hospital, that portion of the patient um, experience begins. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just the interaction with the physician. It's not just the quality of care or did you get better anymore. It's how did the place look? How was the receptionist? How was the, how was the nurse who first saw you? Everything comes into play now, and uh, it's just amazing how complicated it's getting. And I think there could be you know, a couple schools of thought on this because some people might believe in a very fundamental or uh, basic means of delivery of medical care. They might not care. Is your doctor friendly? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Am I better? I'm not sick anymore. That's all that matters. But then you contrast with studies out there that show, for example, placebo uh, is responsible for almost 30% in improvement. So the placebo effect alone, the fact that you're getting care, the fact that you're taking any medicine, 30% of that or up to 30% is attributable just to the fact that you believe that you're being, being taken care of. Maybe then that experience as soon as you walk in the door and having a better experience as soon as you go in and all your interactions with everybody might be just a placebo effect in itself. <laughs> in which case, we should definitely focus on patient satisfaction and, you know, perhaps invite some of the staff uh, or the administration from the Ritz-Carlton over and have <laughs> them train the hospital facility staff. But who knows? I think this conversation with Dr. Schumann was really interesting because, you know, as a physician blogger, he's a writer as well, and he tries to relate to his patients on their level. So he doesn't, you know, takes away all the esoteric uh, terminology that we use and tries to break it down for patients in a way that they can understand. Uh, and a lot of the stuff he talks about is their interactions with the healthcare system. So this isn't anything new per se in our experience here, at, le at least at Radio Rounds, because we've interviewed plenty of authors who have been able to share their experiences through the act of writing. Uh, and blogging we see is simply an extension of that. The same thing with doing a radio show. And doing a radio show. So it's it's kind of interesting how he uses blogging, at least, to convey this information to the general populace. I think also it's very important for physicians to be able to convey, you know, their experience to um, to other physicians, to themselves, and not just about, um, you know, not just about you know this patient was sick with that, or I did this and it worked, or I did this and it didn't work, but also the humanistic side, that humanistic experience that. We get a very unique view of as medical students and also, you know, for the rest of our lives as physicians. We see things that most people never experience and never get to see. 
And you're right. You know, that brings me to a, a thought from the interview is that Schumann mentioned there are two schools of thought, maybe more, but uh, two schools of thought where some people believe that the stories or the interactions that physicians have with their patients should be strictly confidential, um, even if uh, it was an anonymous, the story should not be told. Now, I personally feel that there's something very valuable about the physician's ability to talk to patients. For example, physicians, um, at least my witnessing them, patients have told them things that they didn't even tell their very close family members, their significant others. And so I think there's something very intrinsic about the patient, the doctor-patient relationship and the ability to completely divulge secrets or things that they, you know, they didn't tell anyone before because they were either ashamed or embarrassed or whatever it may be. But the interesting thing is that when physicians share these, obviously anonymously, it kind of helps us realize you know, the essence of humanity. So, you know, everyone only sees what, you know, is demonstrated. They don't see what people tend to hide. And so through these stories, you, you know, the humanity of a person or the human character is really revealed because you get to see the whole, you know, the whole breadth of it. Nothing is shaded or, or, you know, hidden or anything. It's all disclosed for you to see. And it's something interesting about that, the naked truth. Yeah. I think it's very important for our patients to always trust us first. But we also, as humans, need an outlet of our own. We experience things as physicians, both good and bad, that very few people out there experience and have to deal and learn how to cope with. And this reminds me of a course I just recently completed at the Boonshoff School of Medicine, which is also offered to first years at many other medical schools across the country called Healer's Art. It's a course that was designed by Dr. Rachel Naomi Rimmon, a physician and author who has been on radio rounds, which taught me to better understand these experiences and better prepare me for these experiences in medical school and throughout my training, and that as a physician, I need to learn how to care for myself and need to find an outlet, whether that be talking in small groups like we did in Healer's Art, finding other physicians to confide in, or through some other outlet. And I think it's very important, as long as we always respect our patients' privacy, that we have some way to learn how to cope and deal for ourselves and also celebrate and anguish. So as long as we respect our patients' privacy... We as physicians need a way to share. So I think in some ways these stories are both the patients and the physicians. There are two people experiencing it, and they both need an outlet, as long as they're both being respected. And these things can be sometimes difficult for a medical student, or even obviously a physician on a day-to-day basis, with all the day-to-day stresses that you have, uh, the factors that are going into, you know, whether we have exams coming up, whether... Um, physicians are having struggles with the insurance companies trying to get reimbursements or they have a patient that they they have trouble getting covered. You know, various reasons or various influences come into this relationship. But at the end of the day, it's all about the patient. That's why we're here. That's why we went into medicine. Do you have any stories so far? I mean, obviously you're first year, but uh, Ryan, could you share with us any experiences that you've had that kind of brought you back to why you did it? It's funny you mentioned that. This just happened to me. Um, I'm currently taking our our cells, tissues, and organ systems course, commonly known as CADOS. Exciting. And it's it's a very fun course, but very stressful. And um, I was in my preceptor's office, who I mentioned earlier, seeing patients with him. And this was on a Friday afternoon, immediately before a Monday exam, and I was stressed. It was our microscope exam, 50 microscopes, very stressful experience to walk into that room. <laughs> and that's all I was thinking about. And so I go in, and I see a patient listen to the heart, and I'm like, wow, the heart's there, this person's alive, and I'm just (laughs) thinking about this exam, and then I go to walk out, and I put my hand on the door to open it, and the patient said, thank you very much, you know, I really wish you luck in your education, 
And at that moment, it really clicked. It made me realize, this is why I'm here. And I stopped being stressed about the exam because I realized that exam's not very important. This patient right here, right now, is who's important. And for the rest of the afternoon, I made sure to connect with every patient. And I didn't think about my exam until I went home. And you know what? I did just fine on it. So it made me realize that, you know, patients are why I'm here. Exams aren't. And, you know, I have very similar experiences as well as a third-year student. Obviously, now we're completely in the hospital, so we're doing our clinical portion, uh, whereas Ryan's doing more of his basic science portion. But, you know, we our job is to see patients on a day-to-day basis and pick up the art of medicine. So he's learning the science right now, but, you know, as you try to imply it, it gets even more difficult because things are never the way they're written in the textbook. And, you know, time and time again, I've I've had interactions with patients or, you know, for example, in pediatrics, their parents who at the end of our interaction, you know, you go in, you do the physical, you take uh, the history, get, you know, figure out why they're there. And at the end of it, they ask you, you know, where you are in your training. And then, you know, in, in the end, they're like, well, you're going to be a great doctor. There's nothing more reassuring than hearing that coming from a patient. And, you know, regardless of when you have tests coming up, you know that, you know, you're going to get through the curriculum and you're going to get through all of the books and the knowledge that you need to get to at least to be a good doctor. To be a great doctor takes, you know, a lot of practice and dedication. So now we'd like to thank Dr. Schumann for joining us on the show and sharing with us his blog, glasshospital.com. There's an interesting post from 2010 called A Good Death which is a good example of demystifying medicine and empowering patients. He discusses the act of death and dying. Uh, Many of us have come to envision this as something that goes on in the hospital where there's a flat line on the EKG machine, it beeps, there's everybody comes in, rushes to try to help the patient. But it didn't always used to be like that. Centuries ago, it often happened in the home, in the peace of one's home with the family surrounding them. So um, it's a very interesting perspective on dying and the choice that patients have, whether they, you know, choose to die in the hospital or uh, at home in peace. You can find a direct link to that blog post and a link to Dr. Schumann's blog on our website, radiorounds.org. And now we'd like to discuss a few items of news that are particularly interesting or relevant uh, today's, to today's story. The first one is uh, found in the, the AMA Morning Rounds, and it talks about a study that discusses the accessibility that is often lacking in healthcare organization websites. So I pose this to our listeners, you know, when's the last time you actually visited the website of your doctor? Perhaps if you visited your hospital website, it might be fairly useful. But even then, the study finds that these websites most of of the time tend to lack the information that you would find it important. Uh, Ryan, I mean, have you visited your, your physician's website lately? I honestly can't say that I ever have visited my physician's website, but I'm guessing that if I did, um, I wouldn't find anything useful there. With all (laughs) the information out there on the internet, you would really hope that your physician would be providing you with the best best information that they have and they could, but it's slightly disappointing to hear that they, uh, they don't live up to the bar. Yeah, and it's not uncommon. I mean, the whole point that Dr. Schumann was trying to raise in his discussion and, you know, through his blog posts of demystifying medicine is, you know, from a patient perspective, the things that matter to you aren't always the things that are important in the actual process of healthcare, but they should be because obviously when we discuss the whole idea of placebo effect, you know, all of this matters uh, because you need to know that you're being taken care of. So it was a very interesting finding in today's news that we felt found uh, relevant to the story today. Thanks for joining us today. 
We hope you'll join us next week for Radio Rounds, where we'll talk with the lead medical epidemiologist for the medical and veterinary student programs at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, Dr. Larry Cohen. Remember, you can download podcasts of all past episodes. Just search the iTunes store for Radio Rounds or visit radiorounds.org to listen to live streaming audio. We also air on Sundays in the Dayton, Ohio area at noon Eastern Time on WWSU 106.9 FM and Sundays at midnight on WYSO 91.3 FM. You can contact our team via email, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. All of that information at radiorounds.org. Production made possible in part by MedPlus Advantage, sponsored by the American Medical Association, providing group disability and life insurance to students and residents through participating educational institutions. Visit us at medplusadvantage.com. Radio Rounds is proudly partnered with the Student Doctor Network, online at studentdoctor.net. Find answers to your questions about medical school or residency programs. Ask questions in our online forums and get answers quickly. It's fast, easy, and available now at studentdoctor.net. Please remember that the views and opinions expressed on Radio Rounds are not representative of the views and opinions of the partners of Radio Rounds or the Wright State University Boonshop School of Medicine. Have a great week, everyone. For our entire staff here at Radio Rounds, I'm Shami Das. And I'm Ryan Shapiro. And one day, we'll, we'll be your doctors. doctors. Here come the radio round, 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 Welcome to radio rounds. <laughs>